Hi, I'm Nicole. And I'm Desiree. We are both mothers who run a support group for perinatal loss. Through our group, we have met many wonderful families and have had the honor of hearing about and sometimes meeting their beautiful babies. We notice that families feel relief when they can share openly and feel seen when they meet others who are telling similar stories. So we created this podcast as a space for families to share the stories of their babies. We want to honor and remember these children. We want to help you navigate your life after loss. And most importantly, we want each story to give you hope. So please join us as we share these stories of grief and love. Welcome to the Blindsided Podcast. Hey everyone, this is Nicole here with me and Desiree for our first episode of the podcast. So I'm Desiree and if you listen to our pilot episode, you kind of know a little bit about myself and Nicole. Um, we're here to bring you a story today from, like we said, Mia. She's part of our support group and we've known her for a few years. Nicole has known her longer than I have, had the honor of, but we're excited for you to meet her today and hear her story. Hi, my name is Mia. I'm Mia Searles, and I'm here and very grateful to actually get this platform to talk about my story. Bear with me because as you, I, well, I'm just going to be sharing my story. This is the first time that I'm sharing it so publicly with everyone. Um, you know, I'm used to kind of talking in groups and and, you know, sharing my story through social media when sometimes people, you know, contact me after they've heard my story. So this is like really a beautiful thing that we can kind of come together and share so, uh, our stories. I know I'm, I'm, you know, just one of, of so many families, people that have gone through loss. So basically me and my, I'm going to call my hubby. We're not married, but we've been together for many, many years, over 10 years. So I'm going to call him my hubby because we've been through, I feel like many struggles. And I feel like this is a testament to, you know, like that we deserve to be together. We we've earned being together. I don't know. You've overcome a lot. <laughs> Overcoming a lot. And sometimes, yeah. and I'll talk about this later, but I do know that sometimes going through loss can tear couples apart. Um, and I'm not saying that we didn't go through our own struggles. I've been very transparent. And I also tell, you know, couples that too. But anyway, we were together, we've been together for a long time. And, you know, I always knew that I had uh, fertility issues. Um, I have what we call polycystic ovarian syndrome. And what that basically is, is, you know, I don't ovulate normal, like normal women. Um, and I knew that, you know, getting into my thirties, I was like, oh man, you know, I, I don't want to rush having a kid, but I felt like I was ready. Something tell me, I don't know if it's the biological clock, but something was like, you know what, you might want to go start getting checked out. So I started going to fertility. They confirmed, yes, that, you know, I do have the, you know, plastic ovarian syndrome. And so we, we got tested and all that. And basically they said, yeah, you would benefit not so much from IVF. Like we didn't have to go that route, but there's a thing called IUI. So, uh, which is, you know, a little bit more natural. So, you know, obviously, yes, hubby was on board um, with everything. We started getting treatments. Um, and I know with like IUI and things like that, there's always kind of like a little bit of a greater risk from for getting pregnant with multiples. But I don't know, I guess my brain, even though I kind of thought that would be like, I think every, I don't know, there's a fantasy, you know, I was like 35, the 34 when I started the treatments. And I thought to myself, oh man, wouldn't it be great if I got pregnant with twins, right? And and it would be boy, girl twins. And then I could be done, right? Two and done. That, that's what I was thinking in my head when you start, like when I was starting, but little did I know that it actually was going to happen. So um, anyway, we started, it took a while for me to get pregnant, finally did. Um, and beautiful thing about fertility places, you kind of learn pretty quick when you're pregnant. 
you know, so like within, I think the, it was like, I got, you know, I took the test or whatever at home though, you know, they tell you the, the, the two week wait, that's what they call it. It's like usually a nightmare, you know, and you, because you know, you keep, if you get the false report, like whatever, you know, when you take the, the test and it's, it's horrible that wait, but anyway, finally I get a positive. I remember it clearly. Do you want to ask, say something? Oh, no, no, no. I was just saying okay. it's really, really horrible to wait. And yes. most people can't wait that long. Exactly. So we're home taking pregnancy tests. Yes. And I would be lying if I didn't cheat and take it a little earlier. You know, <laughs> I think we, we, you have them all, you have the, for, you know, the test literally in the closet on, yes. you know, like by the, by the boxes. Um, it was crazy, mm-hmm. but I'll never forget when I found that I was pregnant, it was like six something in the morning. Like, you know, that, that morning stream, you know, they say is the best. And I just, something told, like, I literally had to get up to go to the bathroom and some told me to try it. Like, Oh, go, go take the test. And I did. And I, I couldn't even wait. Like I, I ran down the stairs to tell my mom, I, I was like freaking out. And I remember her face and I actually have a picture of her face with the test. And I kind of have to tell you guys this too, because you're going to be like, well, wait a minute, you told your mom, but you didn't tell, you didn't tell your hubby. Well, at the time we weren't actually living together. I know that sounds crazy, but we were in the process of finding a place. He lived an hour away. So we did the whole like commute, you know, the long distance relationship. We've been doing that for a long time. And we were actually in the process of like starting to buy a house because we knew, okay, we're going to start a family. So we were doing all this kind of crazy, like all at one time. So of course, like it was a weekend that he wasn't there. And so of course my mom, you know, me and my mom are very, very close. And so I just remember that picture um, uh, that I, that I have. And, um, and it's still to this day kind of tears me up when I come across it because it's like unfinished. And I didn't even have the heart with my future pregnancies to even do it because, you know, it's one of those things that you, like, I just was so, you know, so scared to even dream, you know, um, it just getting through the preg- uh, pregnancy is, was big enough for me. And I didn't, I was just, yeah, it's horrible. Um, but anyway, so found out. And then of course I, I, um, went in and they confirmed it with a blood test and they said, okay, in another week, come back, uh, you know, for an ultrasound. Well, meanwhile, I, 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 uh, like went on Etsy and I got like a cute little like onesie. And I, cause at this point I only thought it was one baby. <laughs> Right. So I was like, okay. So um, I got like, you know, I can't even remember what it said, but it was like a onesie to surprise Alex when he was coming down. It was something along the lines of, you know, can't wait to meet you, daddy, or something like that, you know, in the 2017 or whatever, September 2017. That's so cute. Yes. Yeah. And I remember surprising him and he was like so happy. And I got pictures of that and him with the onesie. And then the day, the day we found out we were going to have twins. So we went into the fertility place. Um, and that's pretty much when they gave me the stamp of like, okay, you know, once they do the ultrasound, it's like they release you after like so many weeks and then you go to an actual OB. So I, um, remember going in there and, and it was funny because I kind of looked over now, mind you, we, this was like my first pregnancy and him, he did, you know, I have a stepson. He does have some, but it was years, years ago. And so we're both looking at the ultrasound, you know, the machine and I'm like thinking, Hmm, why does it look like there's two dots? I'm like, eh, you know, maybe I'm losing my mind. And, and he told me later that he said the same thing. Like, he's like, I look like two eyes looking at me. That's what he was saying. And then they were like, Oh, surprise. Like, you know, it looks like there's two. And then they did the little heartbeat thing. We heard two heartbeats and it was just like, oh my God, it was um, definitely a, you know, I was, it was a surprise in my life, but in a weird way, like it, it, you know, I think it shocked him more than it shocked me. I don't know. It's maybe, I, I don't know if anybody else feels this because, you know, like I'm not an, I'm not like a hardcore, like religious person. Um, I accept, you know, and respect all faiths. I respect that. I'm not saying I don't believe in God or anything, but I'm saying I'm not, you know, I don't go to church every day, but I tell you this experience, 
it's almost like I was meant to be a twin mom. And, and it's the weirdest thing. And uh, so it was like this weird feeling of like, I'm not super shocked. Like I was surprised and, and a little bit, but once it settled, then it wasn't like, oh yeah, this is like crazy. How am I going to do this? I, I know some people and I'm in twin groups now on social media and they like flip out and I'm not disrespecting them. I get it. It is a shock to the system. I embraced it wholeheartedly, you know, and, uh, and was ready for the challenge. I knew it was going to be a challenge. So anyway, fast forward. So we found out everything kind of, we lost them at 20 weeks. So I would say the first 20 weeks in general were good. We were associated with, you know, um, if I share part of my story, one thing I can tell somebody is that sometimes even the place can be triggering. It was a textbook, right? I, they considered me sort of high risk only because I was pregnant with twins, but I had no previous losses or anything. So it wasn't like they treated me like out of the norm as far as like uh, needing to go to crazy high risk all the time. I did see once I did at 16 weeks, we did go see a um, high risk doctor um, just so that he can go over the things of like twins. Like, okay, you have died that you're pregnant with die, die twins. That's the best type of twins to have because they're in their own sack. They're, they have each have their own sack and they each have their own own um, placenta. They're like the best kind as far as getting them to the finish line, you know? You know, so we liked everybody. I mean, I liked him, you know, and I just was towards the end when we start right before. Um, oh, and then this is kind of an interesting thing too. So because of the fact that I was on that cusp of 34 uh, weeks, 35 weeks, they recommended that I get some like genetic testing. You mean your age? My your age. age. My I'm week. so sorry. Yeah. I was yeah. going to ask you that. I was going to ask you if that was uh, any kind of factor into uh, your medical care. Exactly. Yes. So being 34, 35, you know, I hate to say this, but they, what do they call it? Geriatrics. Um, uh, like, they used to call it advanced maternal age, but now I feel like you're, they do call it geriatric. Yeah. So they just recommended, they said, you know what, it wouldn't hurt, you know, just to kind of get some things checked up. And then also the perks of getting the, the testing done is we get the, to know a little bit ahead of time if I'm, if we're pregnant with boy, girl, gender. Right. And I was like, oh, that would be kind of cool. Cause of course we were we were, you know, anxious and kind of wanted to know. So the good news and bad news. So the good news is when I did get the test results back, it did reveal that I was pregnant with at least one boy, but because of the way it is with twins and this genetic testing, they said that that I still could be pregnant. If it was just XX, then it would have been both would have been girls because they picked X, they picked up the XY chromosome. They said you either have two boys or you're definitely, you have one boy and they just can't pick up the, the, you know, the XX for the girl. So basically I was like, all right, so we at least know we're having one boy, but we didn't know if it was a boy and a girl. But so that was interesting. So I just remember that. And that was nice to know a little early. So we hit 20 weeks and I remember like, you know, we had just went and, you know, of course these are all things. And I'm mentioning this because these are all things that even to this day, you know, this guilt, right? You, you go in your, your mind, you're thinking of all these things, like, could this been what caused me to go into preterm labor? You know, uh, did I, did I, you know, did I too, do too much? So I remember a week before I it was our anniversary, it was a gift that me and him wanted to do. It was though it was months later, we went to a musical in Philly. And I remember like having to go up a lot of stairs. It was like, like up and down, up and down stairs. And we had a walk, we had a park and walked there. And I remember feeling a little funny that day. Um, I was starting to feel, feel, not feel well. A uh, week before, like we, we were at the theater, we saw a musical. It was the first time um, my hubby had ever been to a musical. So we had a great time, but I was like, you know, again, going back to that guilt of, you know, I think every woman, even if we're told no, it was completely not your fault. I do, I'm, I'm, 
I think from until my dying day, I'm always going to feel that there's a part of me that I did something wrong, even though I know logically that I didn't. But um, I just think it's something and it's good to note, you know, if anybody is in my shoes, you know, and, and you, you're suffering through a loss or have suffered through a loss, I want you guys to know that, you know, don't, you know, these, these, these feelings, even going through therapy and I'll discuss that later, you know, going through therapy and going to group. I think that's like the um, universal thing that I've, I, I feel with other moms. We always have to suffer with that feeling of guilt. So yeah, I agree. There's always like some kind of guilt. Like you look back, you're like, oh, if I had done this differently, maybe, or if I had known I should have listened to my body, like it's so hard. So Monday rolled around again, 20 weeks, Monday rolled around. I called out. I started feeling, feeling funny. Um, and then Tuesday rolled around and I started feeling funny and I was just trying to make it to my appointment that this, the anatomy scan, which was at 20 weeks, we had that scheduled for the following week, but something told me I was leaky. I know not to get really graphic, but I wasn't like my, I didn't think my water had broken again. It was my first pregnancy, but I had always heard that it was like a gush. And so, but it was like a little leaky. Um, I was kind of crampy, uh, I just didn't feel good. So I kind of called up. I said, oh, let me advocate for myself. Let me call up, called the OB and um, said, look, I really, something's not right. You know, it's been two days now. I mean, even though, um, you know, can I get it ch- checked out? So they told me to come in. Hubby was working at the time. Um, but at that point, I didn't even scare him. Like I didn't want to like get him all worked up or anything. So anyway, I go into the appointment and, you know, this was really where I felt I took a turn with my care because even though I had a pretty good experience up until then, this is where things kind of changed. This was how crazy this was. My parents, my dad was just bat- like battling cancer at the time. And so my dad and my mom were actually on their way to Camden to go get, to go talk to, I believe it was their can- the cancer doctor, the oncologist. So, so I we went, both had appointments at Camden. Yeah. So, but I, wow. but I was originally, I, my appointment was going to be in Seoul, right? So even though the hospital, Cooper Hospital was in Camden, I was at the, the, thank God the OB, my OB was right there in like, not far from where I was, where I lived. So I was like, yeah, I didn't think nothing. Right. I mean, I wasn't thinking that it was the end all be all. I just was like, okay, I'm not Right. Well, maybe they can kind of just tell me what's going on. But I did let my parents know, FYI, you know, I'm heading to the doctors. My mom's like, good, because I, you know, I really want you to go get checked out. Something's not right. So I go to the appointment. And like I said, I, something, I, this is what kind of where the turn, where I didn't feel right, even with my, with the people that were, you know, taking care of me that day. The one good thing was when I got in there, the nurse that came in was very nice. And I told her, look, I'm, I'm feeling funny, blah, blah, blah. And she said, you know what? I said, I'd just like to get checked down there. I don't know what it is. Um, I had had a yeast infection before, you know, and I, I didn't know, like I said, maybe there's a reason why things are just feeling a little leaky down there. And so she actually was cool because she said, you know what, I want you to like undress from the waist down. And when a doctor comes in, you let them know that, you know, they don't generally check at this point. I don't really know why we don't, but you know, kind of was on my side. Well, when the doctor came in, I mean, it was a doctor that I hadn't seen to be fair, right? It wasn't one that had yet circulated. Um, she was kind of, she didn't really want to check me. She said, oh yeah, it's normal. That's what she kept saying. It's normal. It's normal to feel leaky. You know, I'm like, yeah, but I said, something's not right. I said, I'm telling you, I said, it's been two days. I barely can get out of bed. You know, I just don't feel right. So finally I kind of forced her. I said, can you, like, I really would feel better walking out of here if you could please check me. And I'm so glad that I did. And I'm again, another thing that I'm telling everybody advocate for yourself, you know, your body. And I've learned even through my future pregnancies that like you have to advocate and not just advocate, but surround yourself with a care team. Yes. That is okay. That understands 
understands your anxieties and is willing to be on board with you. That it's okay if it, you know, if they, they're not on board and can't ease your anxieties and things like that, then you know what, maybe you need to go to another. It's not always you is what I'm trying to say. So anyway, she checks me and it was one of these weird things where, you know, you could see somebody's face and she kind of was like, oh yeah, she's like, something's up here. And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, oh, um, she's like, well, I, I want you to, um, go get checked out. She's like, I went, I'm going to, I'm going to send you to get an ultrasound. I'm going to check your cervix because it, it's looking like it's dilated a little bit. And I said, yeah, okay. And changes. of course, you know, me being me, I mean, I, I didn't really understand fully what that meant, but I knew that wasn't good either. Um, we want you to go straight up to Camden, you know, to get you checked out to make sure everything's good. I said, okay. So at that point, I wasn't like full blown panicking, but yeah, I was like, okay, something's not good if they're sending me straight to the hospital. So I just remember coming out of the appointment, sitting in my car and immediately calling and it was his lunch break. So it was actually kind of perfect. But I, I call Alex and I remember saying to him like, look, my, I'm dilated and they're telling me to go straight to the hospital. So I need you to kind of meet me there. And, you know, at first he's like, you know, typical, and I hate to say typical male, you know, he's like, well, I, I'm working like, you know, like I'm, I'm on my break. I'm like, I need you to come to the hospital. Like, you don't understand, like, you know, fine, do what, do you, like, I don't know. I guess I was just kind of like, well, whatever, then if you're not going to come, then I'm, I know where I'm going to be. And we kind of like hung up, but what was kind of funny was within like five minutes, he calls me back and he's like, I'm on my way. And I'm like, well, what changed your mind? And he's like, cause of course, like I bawling my eyes out in the car. Right. And he's like, and she's, and he's like, cause what my coworker was like, what, what's going on? And he's like, I don't know. She said she's dilated or something. And he's like, leave now. Like, what are you crazy? I mean, and I guess he just needed it. It was, it didn't get in his head that it was really important. He didn't understand that. Yeah. That's cute. That's cute. (laughs) He didn't understand. Yeah. So, so, so it, and let me tell you, like, from that moment on, like, I mean, he was like fully so supportive, but I remember getting up there first without him. I get up there, they get me comfortable. They, you know, nurses were nice. They said, look, we're going to check to see if there's any membranes, if there's anything going on down there, we're going to do a swab. I said, okay. So again, I still wasn't really in panic mode. I I just, maybe I was in denial. I mean, but I wasn't really thinking that bad. You know, they just did the swab. He comes in. So hubby comes in and I said, oh, thank God you're here. Cause you know, like I don't know what they're going to tell me. And I always thought, think back to that moment, because if he hadn't gotten there when he did, I I think I would have gotten the news by myself. And so, and then he was like apologizing to me. He's like, I'm sorry, you know? And I said, no, it's good. You're here. That's the main thing. Meanwhile, I knew my parents were literally across the street at the, at the cancer building. So it's interesting that we all were kind of close. Well, then the moment of, uh, of dread hits in. Um, so the doctor comes in and, and with the nurses and there's, and I saw her face and I just like knew this wasn't good. And she's like, I'm really sorry, but, um, your, your water is broken. And I said, what? I said, what do you mean? And she's like, yeah, one of the, one of the waters is broken. You're going to lose both babies. And at first, and this is, I think why, you know, it's a little bit different. And again, I'm not belittling anybody's loss because every loss is different and it's heartbreaking, but I'm saying it's different in the sense that it was so confusing. Like I said, well, so of course Alex is like, well, what do you mean? Uh, you know, well, there's two babies. They're two different sacks you're saying one water broke, one didn't. And he goes, and they're like, yes. And they're like, well, can't we save one? And they're like, no, the, the issue is, is that, you know, once your body, what's a woman's body is triggered into like labor, there's no way of really stopping it. Let me, and let me backtrack that yeah. too. Let me stop because what's, they were alive, right? So this, they were alive. And then on top of it, 
they said by options. Okay, so I, let me explain to some people because at 24 weeks is when they consider pregnancy to be viable, where they feel that babies are able to, you know, survive outside the womb without major, 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 I guess, like issues and things like that. So here I was only at 20 weeks. So that's kind of why at least this hospital and this team really wasn't jumping at. And and, and, and again, it's not just. I know that this is across the board, but they weren't jumping to like, give me a lot of options, right? So the only options they gave me, they said, well, one, you could try to, we could try to keep you in the hospital, try to keep you comfortable um, and see if we can get you as close to 24 weeks as possible. But the issue is, is that you're open down there. Like basically your membranes are ruptured. You have one, you know, one baby, the fluid is done, you know, like water broke. Now you're open to sepsis, right? And then, and, and you have to understand that not only could they get sepsis and die, but then you could, you know, like you get a severe infection. So then Alex was freaking out about that. Cause he's like, I don't want to risk that. Like, I don't want to risk losing you on top of them. Like, and so that was something we had to talk about really. And it's like one of these sad things because it's like, you know, they sit there and say, you have all this time. They're like, yeah, take your time thinking about it, but really you don't. <laughs> so we felt, and we felt so, um, not only uneducated about it. I mean, Alex was literally on his phone trying to play doctor, like, you know, trying to do all this research and me, I'm just devastated. I was just sitting there like a, like, like a, in a catatonic state. Like I just couldn't function. Right. I couldn't think, I didn't even know how I was even going to get the strength to even go move forward, you know, and go through like, how, how, how do I survive this knowing that it's not like an instantaneous thing, you know, when I get, I'll talk about the birth in a minute, but it's like, it's not like, oh, you know, it's just like, oh, it's something quick, you know, there, they can put you under. It's like knowing that the next 24 to 40 hours were probably going to be the most painful, yes. uh, uh, you know, to, to physically go through. And then emotionally it, it was like so devastating. And in the blink of an eye, like everything seemed like it was going great. And then bam, like, you know, you get this devastating news and I look back now and I think again, going back to this mom guilt, you know, um, you know, did I make a hasty decision? No, I know that again, I know I made the right decision, but you know, you hear all you once in a while and here we go with the triggers, you know, you'll see these, these miracle stories that like, Oh, woman at 22 weeks, like, or, you know, 20, 21 weeks, 22 weeks, um, went from hospital to hospital, hospital, cause they kept turning her away. And then all of a sudden they get one hospital that took a chance. And now they're now the baby, like quote unquote graduated from the NICU and, and made it, you know? So like, and what I'm trying to say is like, you know, you, you literally rack your brains like, Oh, if I had had just more time, if I'd had more, more experience, did I make the right decision? And I like, again, I think, it's like the warring with your heart and your brain, you know, like, you know, I know logically I made the right decision and, you know, there are so many th thing reasons why I know I made the right decisions, but I think that's just a think of mom guilt, something that will, I'll always live with, you know, until my right. dying day moving forward. So we, you know, I end up calling my, my parents, let them know what was going on and that I needed them. And, you know, I, but I also told them at the same time, I know that you're in a serious appointment. So, you know, come over when you can. So they did, um, they moved me to labor and delivery. You know, what, one thing I will say is that while I didn't really care for the doctors, the, the nurses were phenomenal and on that on that team I, I don't they were they were I will say that thank God I at least had that you know they, I just remember and I you know what's sad is I think it was I don't remember what their names were I yeah. just know there was two of them and I think it was just like a blur but they were wonderful I do remember me and you know me and Alex like that it set in pretty early with me feeling like 
a failure. I remember telling Alex, almost like, I, I understand if you don't want to be here. <laughs> like, I look back now and I'm like, what was I thinking? But I think I just felt like a failure as a, as a woman, as a wife, as a, you know, as a mom. Like, you know, I just felt like, you know, here and, you know, not to get into his story, but he had been through a lot of loss. So this was something like, oh, I'm going to give him these babies. Like, you know, we're going to start our life and bam, it's like, you know, I couldn't finish that. And I feel like it's yeah. another step of, of grief and, and putting something on him. But let me tell you, I don't know if I could have survived it without him. He was so very supportive, made decisions and helped me make decisions that I didn't, I just didn't, wasn't even in the right mental capacity to make. So some things that we had to deal with. So when we get up there, and they get me comfortable. It's kind of like what the, some of the questions were like, when they're born, do you want, do you want to hold them? And I originally said, no, and I'm going to be honest. And this is painful. This is painful stuff. Um, originally we both were, I think he was kind of following my lead. My fear was, I didn't know what they, I kept saying, what are they going to look like? Yeah. You know, I was petrified. I didn't know what they were co going to come out like. I don't know. I don't even know. Like, I wasn't in my right frame of mind. So, what we did ask for was an anatomy, but a scan to be able to, like, a, an ultrasound to be able to remember them, what they look like in the womb, right? Originally, I thought uh, I'll be okay with that. Like, I don't really need to see them. And I'll never forget this the one main nurse that was with me in a very gentle way. She said to me a couple of times, because I kept saying, what are they going to look like? And she said, they're going to be babies. They're just going to be small. That's it. She goes, they're going to look like little babies. She said, and I'm going to tell you something. And she goes, and this is, of course, I'm going to respect your decision. You know, this is, this is what you're going through. But one of the biggest regrets that I, I, I've experienced, like parents have experienced, have come through that have been through in your shoes, ones that don't want to, don't end up not holding their baby or looking at their baby, they end up regretting it. She goes, and I just don't want you and your hubby to regret it. And, you know, she said it a couple of times when I kept kind of going back and forth and asking her, like, what are they going to look like? And, and so it stayed in, in the back of my, my head. And I think, you know, and I, I, so I was still kind of wibbly wobbly on, on that if I wanted right. to do it. So then they had to do like, do the suppositories to actually kind of like help me go through labor. And I think another difference with this twin pregnancy and, and, and labor, especially with loss, that's so different than I think a singleton, singleton pregnancy and, and going through it is that, you know, they don't prepare you. I think it's, uh, everybody that's had twins or, you know, they're like, oh, or seen the movies, right? It's like, oh, you're gonna have twins. They're within minutes apart. Well, I had my son. So Atticus was born at 627 in the morning. He didn't really move. Yeah. You know, I just saw his little heart, you know, yep. well, I guess I should say that. So of course, when I pushed him out, I just remember saying, what does he look like? And I said, like, what does he look like? And Alex was like, he's beautiful. You know, and the nurse said, yeah, he's beautiful. And, and then my mom, you know, he's beautiful. And, uh, and then I just wanted to hold him. And so they wrapped him up and they gave him to me. And, you know, I, I think that weight of like worrying, like, I, I don't know, like I, it was like a moment of, I know that I'm not the only one, you know what I mean? That felt that way, like not sure if they wanted to, but it was like such a blessing. And, and now of course, yeah. years later, I wish I had had more time, even though I held him instantly, I still wish I had more time once, at least that's one regret that I don't have to worry about. So I held him and obviously Alex held him and my mom, and I'll never forget my mom saying, I remember I got pictures and she said like, 
she cried and she told me later she's like was so scared even when her tears hit his face and she's like she's like oh my tears cold and uh just the things like my mom was so excited to be a grandmother and you know thank god for her because i think there was times when you know like i was in pain and i had to like pass him off you know and i just knew like she that he was yeah. safe you know he was safe for those moments but we did have pastor come down that kind of blessed them you know and said a little prayer and then What's sad is, like I said, he, he didn't die right away. You know, it was a few hours. And then they have to come in to announce that he's, that he's dead. And it, like, that's just, it's heartbreaking. And then, to, but then what's Aww. sad is I had to do this again. Yeah. So I, I, my, everybody's like, why is this taking so long? I'm seeing every hour go by of six, you know, the six, six twenty seven was when I gave birth to him. Then it was not, you know, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, then it's the afternoon. And I'm thinking, is it this right? Like, I don't understand. And what I end up finding out what they said, because they knew that the babies were going to basically die, that there was no rush and like, yes, you know, like birthing them. Like, obviously, when you have when when you're birthing twins, and, and they're going to survive, right? Like, yeah, you want them out quick. I couldn't wrap my brain around that till later. Because I thought to myself, that is the most, I don't know. I, I mean, if there was something that I could change, if I could be an advocate, you know, for a woman and that was in my shoes, waiting hours. I mean, I try to look at it because I'm always the type of person that looks, tries to look at things from the positive. I thought, well, it gave me that extra time to process having Atticus and being able to have that time until he passed. I didn't give birth to, to Violet until 4.30, 4.30 in the afternoon. That's a huge, it's not like an hour. It's not two hours, it's not three hours. So I felt like it was just all day long waiting. And then of course, we still didn't know that it was a girl. So of course, by the, and I was exhausted. So by the time oh. she came along and that what really killed us with this was that when she came out, I just remember at my mom and Alex going, oh my God, she's moving. So my son was just very still. He didn't really, she was moving and flat flailing and her little mouth had opened. Such a girl. Such a girl. Uh -huh. <laughs> Such a girl. <laughs> yeah, right? It's a girl. Exactly. My feisty, let me tell you, feisty is, the, you know, a fighter. <laughs> so, of course, you had this moment, especially Alex. Like, I think I was just devastated. And I, I was like, I didn't get to see this because I think I was just, I was like a sweating mess. I was just laying there. But I remember Alex, I heard the, the hope in his voice and, and my mom. They're like, can you save her? Yeah. You know, like she's, she's like moving and, and they just, they said, no, there's nothing that we could do. And I remember, you know, and just know it. So it was like a shock because it was like, we didn't know that it was you know going to be a girl, you know? Right. And so we're processing the fact that we have a daughter. And I think that's even more devastating is like you know we knew at least having one boy but knowing that oh my god we actually Aww. have a daughter it was like a big surprise i really do feel that we thought it was two boys just because of the way yeah. that now his family and everything with boys so it was like a big shock and then i think that grief hit me even harder because then i was like wow you know now here was beth the best of both worlds boy and a girl and i'm losing both of them you know you know and then we held her and we had the pastor come down and you know and um and again same same thing it was almost like going through it again waiting for her to die and then and then ha having another doctor come into it pronounce that she was officially dead and oh my god it was just it was like i just remember how devastating and then we also, another decision we had to make, uh, and that was right before I think I had given birth to 
well, while it was before they both were being pushed out, was that if I wanted their placentas tested, because I said, I do not want them being cut for an autopsy, because I just, in my heart, I knew they were perfect. I didn't really need to know if it was, I don't, I didn't, I knew it wasn't them. Like, you know, there wasn't a reason like that. That was the reason. There was something within me or something that happened. And later I ended up finding out that they think that not so much because of course they try to just say, oh, it was incompetent cervix. But later down the road, when I switched hospitals and we were reading the paperwork, we did, we, it was basically I had had an infection. It didn't, didn't catch it early enough. And that could have caused like the preterm kind of signs that I missed because like I said, it wasn't like a, a, a my water broke. It wasn't like a, if they said my water had broken, but it was like a slow leak. It wasn't like one of those like gushes, you know, after I had them and then it was official and they tested the placentas and all that they gave me, I'll never forget this. So the nurses created this box, you know, is a little keepsake box. Well, one was they, you know, they took pictures of them and I'm so grateful for that. Um, they took pictures of them. They had these two little blankets and their little hospital bracelets. And I'll never forget these bears. And I always come back to these bears, but they gave me these two teddy bears. And I always told Alex, I'll never forget that. I said, how sad those bears look. He's like, well, do you want them to be taken away? I said, no. I said, because they feel how I feel. And I know it was delirious, but to this day, like I was so thankful. I know it sounds crazy that those bears did not have a smiling face because I think I would have wanted to rip their heads off. Yeah. But they did. They did. They had this little, I don't know how to explain it, but these little teddy bears, their faces were like, you know, somber. Not saying they didn't somber bears yeah have, yeah somber bears and i'm thinking good like they didn't bring me these like nice cheery bears and you know and i i'll never forget that for the longest time i think recently i took them down but for the longest time i had them in my hutch at home with like the blankets and things but they were getting like a lot of dust and i said let me preserve them but you know it made me feel like okay i wasn't alone i know that sounds crazy so we need to trademark that somber bears somber bears. somber bears <laughs> nobody steal that yeah somber right with trademarking that absolutely you know yeah because there's just some occasions where you want maybe a teddy bear or you want something but you don't want it to be a big smiley face you know another thing that too that we had to come to a quick decision about and this is something that i know a lot of especially being in group with with you guys like you know talking was making the decision on what to do so when you're when you hit i think it's actually 20 weeks then you're responsible kind of for like making arrangements right and uh where you know a week prior and 19 weeks you really don't have to although i do know that's still a big thing like you know with people because there's some couples that at 18 19 weeks want to take the remains of their children or their child and get them cremated or something. You know? yeah. 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 That's, that's really far along. And especially if you've done like fertility or you've like really invested in the pregnancy, it's hard just to like forget. Exactly. About it, right? And where originally my first thought when they came in to say, look, you're going to have to, before they're born, these are some decisions you're going to have to make. So you have to make arrangements. And I, originally I felt like, are you kidding me? Point was like, I couldn't even think that far, you know what I mean? And then of course that age old, like, you know, parents shouldn't be burying their children. And I remember just, I couldn't even function. And Alex, thank God, here we go. He jumped in and, you know, he made all the decisions because at first I didn't really, it's not that I didn't care, but I just was having a hard time processing. I'm thinking, I don't know, cremate them? Like, I don't even know. And he's like, no, I want them buried. I I think we should bury them. I said, okay. And and now I'm very fortunate that he made that decision because I have a place that I can go to. And the funny thing is, is I always used to be scared of cemeteries. I don't know what it is about them, but they always used to creep me out. My mom always to say, you know, it's not the dead you got to worry about. My mom like enjoys going to cemeteries. She's right. (laughs) 
<laughs> she's absolutely right, you know. And she said her grandma used to say the same thing. And so she actually enjoys going to cemeteries and she feels like it's a peaceful thing. Me, I always felt uneasy and I always felt like I always joke when I talked to Atticus and Violet, you know, when I have my little quiet moments and I talked to them, I said, you know, you did this on purpose. Like you got me out of my comfort zone and make me go to visit them. Like I think it was everything was meant to be because now I go and I, you know, the, the cemetery we chose, it, it's such a peaceful place to have all the babies in like a little circle around this tree. And it's such a peaceful place. And I've been there many, many times where I just go and, and it's just so nice. So I always say like, maybe it was not that it's meant to be, but when you start being able to process things and I thought, well, if this is how it's supposed to be, then maybe that's, you know, why, you know, also to help me kind of get out of that because it is a beautiful place to go. So we had them and then finally eventually released me from the hospital right before uh, their funeral. I ended up going back to the hospital because um, I was sick and I was running a fever and they, they found out that they hadn't gotten everything out of me. I still had like, Oh no. Yeah, it was bad. And they actually was two days. It was like a day before was it the day before I had to spend the night. It was two days before their funeral. I had passed like this huge clot. I was having my, I was actually, I was rushed to the hospital because I, I thought I was dying. Like I actually, that, that week. Oh my gosh, that's so scary. Or two weeks before or something like that. I just remember being in bed, not wanting oh to Oh my move. gosh. I didn't care if I died. I didn't care if I lived. It was one of these weird things. I was like in a limbo, I guess you could say, you know, like not that I was necessarily wishing to die, but also was had no motivation to get up. I remember getting up one day, one time and I went to the bathroom and it was like a gush and I was oh like, what is going on? And then passed this huge clot. It was like size of my fist. It was bad. I felt like, you know, when you feel the blood drain and my dad, my mom, I yelled down, my, my, my dad rushed up the stairs because Alex was at, at that point, he was trying to finish some affairs. You know, he stayed with me a whole week. Then he went back because he had to go to work for a little bit. So my dad came up the stairs and he was like, saw me. And right. then he like grabbed me, he yelled down, to, told my mom to call 911. I, and I go, dad, I said, I, I said, I feel, I don't feel right. I feel like I'm going to pass out. So he pushed my head forward and I said, dad, I don't want to die. And, and I just, I'll never forget that because I thought to myself, well, there must be a fight in me somewhere. Like I'm guessing I, I, at one point within the first week or two, you know, I thought, oh, like I really could care less, but I was like, no, I don't want to die, dad. And he's like, and I felt bad because he had a similar situation with my mom when she birthed my brother where she, she was hemorrhaging. And he told me that later, like he said, I literally thought I was going to lose you. She goes, it triggered me. He said, because your mom said almost something similar and she was pale white. And she's like, so I was like, oh, my poor father. But, but when I got to the hospital and it was a different hospital, cause obviously emergency, they're going to take you to the closest one and they were like yeah. doing all this stuff and they're like i remember the lady in the ultrasound like she was checking me and she was yeah honey there's stuff in there there's they didn't yeah. like clean you out right so i ended up having to be knocked out did a d and was a dnc or dne like that to go in there and clean everything out and i just kept telling them because they wanted to keep me another day and then i was like no my my baby's funeral is literally that fright like you i need to be out today i said i will sign myself out i don't care and so they were like all right this is we have to promise that we'll do a b and c you know a b c and d and then the funeral came and you know that was all it was like all these little sad things like alex we had to pick out a coffin they put them both together since they were so small but these are all things that like you don't ever think of you know that you you have to do and again, all of these things are beautiful. I look back and I, I, I'm so thankful, but I, I would be lying if I said I wasn't like checked out. I can't even remember who really came. I remember some of my students came. I was, I'm a teacher. Seeing them was really moving and, 
and a couple of close friends from the school. But moving forward, basically, I knew immediately that I needed help. I wasn't ready. It's so funny. I've said this in group before. I wasn't ready for group therapy. But what I needed was I I, I knew I needed to talk to someone. So I did go to a, a, a grief counselor and it was the best, the first year after losing them, it was the best thing that I could have ever asked for. They, uh, she was not just understanding, but I guess I just needed that, this person to listen unbiased. And I'm going to say the heart, one of the hardest things I think was feeling like my world had stopped, but everybody yeah. else was moving on. I had to go off completely off of social media for a while. I felt angry Yes, because I'll never forget. I don't even know who it was, but I just remember texting friends. Right. Like, you know, after I'd write at like maybe the first couple of weeks, maybe a month after, and then being so sympathetic, I mean, so supportive and sympathetic. Right. But then like, they'd be on social media posting something and laughing, you know, there's no, that's totally fine. But me, I'm like, wait a minute, they're on social media, like laughing. I just told them that, you know, and that's when I said, no, I got to go off because I think that's the whole thing. Your world stops, but life goes on. I didn't know how to continue. I didn't know how I'm like, how can, can everybody else go on? But I'm stuck. And then I felt really bad that I felt angry at them. Because it's not their fault. They didn't expect, like, of course they're there for me and they're calling me and they're dropping food off. They're doing all the things that friends are, and family are supposed to do, but they also have to function. And yeah, so that's, uh, that was a big lesson that I had to like, like learn and kind yes. of like process that like, yeah, your world has stopped, but the life is, has moved on. Yeah. The world is still turning. Yes. The world is still turning. And, um, my therapist was, was instrumental. I think a big lesson, another big lesson I learned was like, I'd say the year mark, Alex, we got into a couple of big epic fights. And I think I learned, of course, cause he, listen, men and women process grief different. I also believe in everybody has different backgrounds and how they process. And he was so, so supportive and he would do things like, and I, and, and he wouldn't talk a lot about it, but I knew that he, they were still on his mind because every time I'd go in, like, say if my, my, like I'd go in his car or like whatever, he'd have their little mask card, their little card from the funeral home would be tucked in the dashboard. You know, like there was little subtle ways he would kind of let me know, like, yes, they're on my mind. You know, I, I changed. I'm not the same Mia that I was, you know, when I lost them, I'll never be the same. So I felt like, so we got into this, I'll never forget, we got into this epic fight one day and he's like angry and he's like, I don't know what you want from me. You know, I don't right. know how to fix you. And then it dawned on me. And I just remember grabbing his hands and crying. I said, you, you, is that what you think? You think you have to fix me? No. I said, I have to fix myself. That's my job. I said, all I need from you is just to love and support me. I said, and understand that I'm not the same person. I just need you to love me for who I am. I said, and, and maybe learn me again, just like I have to learn you. I said, you're different too. I would never put that burden on you to fix me. I said, I'm sorry that you felt you were like trying right. to fix me or trying to make yeah. me happy. I said, you know, I am happy with you, but it's just a new normal, new, ha new way we have to find our happiness. I yeah. said, and, but that's my job to fix me, but I just need you to be supportive. If I need to talk about, about them, I'm not asking you to like say anything back or like expect you to get into this long, you know, he's a man of few words. I'm the talker. So I said, just listen to me. That's all. Just be a lending ear. And one thing I will say moving forward from that day, if I ask him, I said, Hey, you know what? I want us to go to a rock and walk event. 
if I want us to go to a group, he'll go. Like the December remembrances that, you know, we go to, you know what I mean? He goes, if I want him to go, he knows, he doesn't argue. And that's kind of all I asked for with that. Like it was just him being, you know, supportive. It sounds like he really is. You guys sound like you have a great yes. relationship, like good communication. Yes. It took a while. And and like I said, I'm not trying to be like, oh, everything's, pe- you know, peachy. But I understand though. I've also been where I've been, had friend, friends that have had some like losses and people I know that it broke the relationship or the person, or let me rephrase that too, not just broke the relationship, but because sometimes as a woman, you can't come out of it. I, I had a very close friend, a uh, family friend, and I'm not putting her business out there, but I know her mom might watch it or listen to this this podcast. And, and I, I love her dearly. Um, she recently passed actually, but she had lost a baby before me. And I don't think she ever was right after that. She never was right. Like she never could get over that. And that's why I don't judge people because you know what, like loss is different for everyone. And, you know, I'm also a believer in like support system, you know, you need a support. And she did have a good support system. Don't get me wrong. She did her mother, close friends, but you think it's over. You think you're, you know, some people just don't know how to handle that grief. Uh, you were talking about um, your relationship with your husband and just saying like, thought he had to fix you. And I notice a lot because I'm talking from the standpoint of uh, more of a support person, you know, or just somebody in the room yeah. as a witness and not as a lost parent. And something I notice a lot when I walk into a room uh, or I'm talking to families is that their moms, their husbands, their partners, the non-birthing partner, their friends, they want to fix it for you. And, and I always try to yeah. tell them like, A, they don't need you to fix it for them because they just need, you just need to be in it. You know what I mean? Just be a supportive right. person. Like you said, you just wanted that support and that's all they need to do. And I always tell them like, especially if it's in the moment, like you don't necessarily have to be doing something to help them. Agreed. Yes. You're absolutely right. I think for me, it was a pivotal point in our relationship because, you know, get into his personal, but he had been through many losses. And I think that for him being Puerto Rican, being, being the male of the house, I I think for his family, like they always depended on him and to fix things. And I think that he automatically took that role with me. And here I'm, I'm very independent, even though we've been together for many years, I'm very independent person, you know? So it's like, even though, yes, we're a couple, you know, I would never expect. So it was, it was like, when he said it, it was such a relief for me to be able to, A, I do have somebody that really cares enough. Like, it's crazy. Cause it, it, I think that was like the, again, a pivotal point in our relationship was, but then after the loss, because I think that, you know, couples can seem, oh, weird love, you know, to, you know, the line till death do us part and sickness and health. But I think until you've gone through something so tragic or, or when somebody's really sick, until you actually go through that to see if you can weather the storm with them, it, it helped me also to relieve him to say, honey, like, I don't need you to fix me. I just need you to be there for me and to listen to me, right. you know? And I think that took a little of the pressure off of him. Cause I do think he really was trying to figure out how to fix me, like right. physically, like patch me back up, you know? Well, that's because you guys took the time to have these conversations. Like you had that conversation, like, look, this is, there's something like here we need to like fix it. Yeah. Yeah. And, but thank you Desiree for, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, bringing that up because it's, and it makes me feel good. Cause again, like I think sharing my story, it makes me feel a feel good to know that I'm not the only one. And then B, to be able to share with other people so they know that these are, you know, every grief story is different. But if I can help another couple or a mother that might be experiencing those things, alleviates them, be like, okay, that's like normal for like a normal for them. That makes me feel good. And uh, so the way I honor them 
as far as my my little cherubs and my as I used to call my little rascals, I still call my little rascals. Well, one Alex got a tattoo with their little footprints. Obviously, I go see them at the the graveyard all the time. We always make sure that we do like the the walk and the rock and walks and the the December remembrance. I think the holidays. Some of the things that are very still challenging though is grief. Like if there's words of advice or like things that I can share with other lost parents is like grief is crazy. You could be fine for a month and then something trigger you and then you feel like you're in that well of grief that you feeling of sadness that you thought you were over it hits you. I know the holidays that are coming up like Christmas doesn't bother me as much, but it's always Halloween. That makes me get incredibly, I feel, I can actually start to feel the anxiety now. I thought it was because of this new school year jitters because I'm a teacher, but it's not. I, I'm already trying to get ahead of the game. Like, what am I going to dress the kids, my my current children? You know, what am I going to dress them as? But I think it's also the anxiety of knowing because I kept thinking when I was pregnant with Atticus and Violet, I was like, oh, they're going to be born in September. You know, that was my biggest thing as a mom. I kept saying, oh my God, two of them and getting to take them out for Halloween. And I, I remember after I lost them, and that first Halloween, it was so triggering seeing everybody with their kids dressed up. Oh my God. And it still is a difficult season for me when it when it comes to that. It's very triggering. You know what's crazy is a lot of our families in group, Halloween is a big one for a lot of people. It really? Is. I don't know if it's the kids. Yeah. Yes. We hear it so often. Like oh. that's one of the hardest holidays. Like you said, at Christmas, you love Christmas. It's you of course you miss them at Christmas or Thanksgiving, but yeah. I think it's because it's that that holiday is for kids. It's not yes. for us. Yeah. I mean, it's for the kids. So you, yeah, you really do look forward to it. I could see you like, you know, planning their little costumes to match each but other. I would say after the first year of being with my grief counselor, then I realized I was kind of like on the outs with her. Not, she was phenomenal, but I felt like I changed because I think that what happens is when you reach that first year milestone, like everybody thinks, okay, they're done. You reached a year, you've mourned a year. It's over. Yeah. That, that's, <laughs> that's how I yeah. felt, you know? Yeah. And I felt like, and, and what's sad is like the first four months, five months, six months, you know, people are still talking kind of to you or, but after a year, it's like saying their name out loud is almost like, I don't say taboo, but it's like, you don't right. want to make people uncomfortable. So finally, that's when I started reaching out to a friend who I knew was coming to the support groups. And I thought, now I think I'm ready to be around people to understand because I feel like I'm losing my mind. I feel like, why am I still feeling like a gaping hole in my chest? So going to group was very eye-opening. It was, um, you know, so I always, that's another word of advice to anyone that like when you're ready, because I never want anybody to feel like you have to just, there's some people that want to do it right away because they want to be, they need, they want to feel like, you know, they have somebody um, that understands where me, it took me a good year before I felt like I was comfortable enough to share with people my story and, and be around other people that have gone through what I've gone through. Then that's where I learned a lot too. Like just knowing that, yeah, grief is a roller coaster, that everybody grieves different and that it's not one of these things which just stops after a year. You know, that I, it's been what now, six years, six, almost seven years uh, since I've lost them and I go through waves. I have now three children since losing you know, Atticus and Violet. I had my rainbow baby in 2019. He was a kind of like a traumatic way, you know, I brought him in. He came five weeks early, but he, he got, he's here and he's healthy. But then, you know, and I, I'm, I'm coming full circle because I want people to understand. I think this is another, there's a last thing that I want to give is people hope. 
So after I had my rainbow baby Achilles, you know, I thought, okay, I'm almost 40. I, he was a very traumatic birth. I thought I was maybe just happy just to have him. But then I thought, what if he's almost two now? Should I try for one more? Because there's such a big gap between him and his older brother, my, my stepson. Uh, it was like a 20 year, almost a 20 year age gap. So I thought to myself, maybe try for one more for our, So it was right around COVID time. I said, you know what? Let me go get checked up. I went back to the fertility doctor and he's like, all right, let's run some tests. I said, just to see how my body did, because remember I had scar right. tissue from when they had to go in there and, and everything. So I did all this test and I'll never forget that day because I thought to myself, um, we had to do a virtual thing. So he goes, well, he's like, we got, I have some bad news. I said, okay. And he's like, you have a, an infection in your uterus and there's definitely still scar tissue in your uterus. And then three, you have hyperplasia, which is like precancerous cells. Um, so it's like, I didn't have cancer, but basically like if they don't take care of it, that it could develop into it. And I never forget, I got very emotional and on that call. And I said, I don't think I told you this, but I said, I still was wishy-washy on whether I wanted to move forward with having another baby. I said, I think this is what I needed. And he goes, what, well, for what? To go forward with it or to go backwards? I said, to go forward. I said, because this could be my last shot. I said, I have always had doctors tell me you have positive ovarian syndrome, could be looking at early hysterectomies, like at 35, anywhere between 35 years old and older, you know, like I could be, uh, because it's just something that happens where this, this is like a common thing. Um, so it felt like almost like this was a now or never kind of situation. So I said, well, what, what, could, what can we do to fix it? He said, well, he's like, one, I'm going to put you on some medicine to get the infection cleaned up Two, I think we, it's better to go back in and do this surgery where we clean you out again, go in and kind of cut the scar tissue and fingers crossed, you won't need a balloon catheter. Cause the last time I actually had to get a balloon catheter put in. So we went forward with it. Surgery went beautiful, all healed up. And I decided, you know, I said, let's do this. Like, let's, let's do it. Uh, never in my wildest dreams did I think that really would end up being pregnant with twins again. Let me tell people now that when I was trying to get pregnant with Achilles, all I kept thinking was how much I wanted to be pregnant with twins again. Literally just was obsessing over it. Obviously, when I got pregnant with Achilles, that went away. Thought, no, this is exactly what I need is one baby. What was I thinking? But I don't. I guess it was just that wishful thinking, that feeling of wanting to fix it. I don't know. Like, fix the situation? I don't know. Like, I mean, I lost them. There's no bringing them. Wanting what you lost. Yeah. 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 There's no bringing them back. There is only one Atticus and Violet. Yes. But, you know, it's a weird thing that your brain processes. So I was over. Over that. I really was like, I really, by the time I got pregnant with my second pregnancy, I mean, third, I should say after Achilles, I thought I was thinking, okay, you know what? It's, it is what it is. So the weekend before I did, did an ultrasound. So I knew I was pregnant, right? Fertility, blah, blah, blah. Took the pregnancy, pregnancy test at home, went in for the blood test. They confirmed, they said, all right, another week come to us and we'll do an ultrasound. That weekend before I was making eggs, a uh, two yolks came, came out of one egg. I looked down <laughs> oh at the God, frying gosh. pan <laughs> And I said, yeah, no, this is not, don't look in Cause I'm all about that, signs. That sign. I'm all about signs. <laughs> I'm very like, and I thought, no way. Mia, don't think too deep into it. Okay. Well, I went in and of course, ultrasound by myself. Again, wasn't thinking nothing, right? Alex was working, been through this rodeo. Like I'm good. Yeah. Now went in there and darned if there was two. And I remember oh my bawling my eyes out and it wasn't in happiness. I'm going to be honest with everybody. I'm very, being very transparent. It's very, it's very emotional. I laugh, but I, I still to this day get goosebumps and I get like choked up because 
I remember breaking down in that office and the doctor literally telling me, Mia, it's going to be okay. And and that's the worst thing you really could hear, right? Because we all know what could happen, but he was like, (laughs) I think he just was shocked to see, but he, he was, he knew me then we were very frank with each other. And he's like, Mia, you are wise. You have experience. You're being monitored. You're going to be fine. Like there's no reason why you can't do this. And so I remember crying the whole way home. And I'm thinking, how am I going to tell Alex, right? You know, because of course I tell my mom first. And I just remember (laughs) feeling almost like a death sentence. It almost felt like a death sentence than happiness. And I remember being very angry at God. I just said, how could you do this to me? How can I survive this and go through this again? Because again, it wasn't like Achilles' pregnancy was like perfect. Like he came five weeks early. So automatically in my brain, I'm thinking they're going to come early. So I'm not even going to make it to the finish line. So it was a rough, once I got my brain wrapped around, around having them. And I think around the nine week mark, actually I had, we had a very tragic um, where I started bleeding and Alex had to leave work and rush me to the hospital. By the way, I probably should have noted that, that we went to a completely different hospital and I love my high risk doctor um, from, you know, both Achilles' pregnancy and same doctor. That's when it hit me. It's those weird hit me moments. Just like when I told you I, that time when I said, I don't want to die, this was like, I don't want to lose them. I remember bleeding, hemorrhaging, thinking I was losing them or we get up there, you know, and and it was at the time when the COVID, so the restrictions. So he got me to the emergency room because I was too early to go to OB, the the triage. And I remember them, him walking me in. They said, he's got to leave. And I remember sitting there literally in the emergency room. Oh my gosh. Just sitting there in a, in a wheelchair and him having to walk out the door. And he's, I'm just going to stay outside. I was like, no, I could be hours. You know, like I made him go home, but of course I'm like crying. And I remember going in the back when they finally got me in the back and the girl told me to, to, you know, pee in the cup. Well, when she left and I started peeing in the cup, I felt, I'm sorry about TMI. I felt something and a plop. Again, thinking, oh my God, like, so I literally thought I lost a baby. Like, I know that sounds crazy, but I was like, oh my God. Like, and of course I'm thinking to myself, me, I I look back and think, me, you're only nine weeks. So you ain't going to feel a plot, but there was something in there. And here it was a, here it was a blood clot. Listen, I laugh now, (laughs) but it was a blood, it was like a clot. So what, what, yeah. Yeah. And I didn't know if I had lost him at that point. So it wasn't until I had gotten, because of course, then I'm crying. The nurse comes in. I was like, I don't know what's in this cup, but don't you see something in this cup? And she's like, okay, just calm down. When they they made me go for an ultrasound and what's what's so messed up, it's not messed up, but the lady goes, she's like, oh yeah, and this one, you know, look at that, that one moving. And I go, moving. And then she realized, she goes, wait a minute, you thought they were dead? And I said, Yes. I said, so I'm bawling now in happiness. She's like, oh my God, let me show you. Because, you know, the ultras, they're not really supposed to like give you information, but she knew I was literally losing. So she turns the screen and she's like, look, they're fine. Look, their heart beats. And I mean to tell you, like, I was like, I couldn't believe it. So we we end up being told what it is, is that they're, they're, it's, I forget what they call it. It's like something hemorrhage where placentas attach and sometimes like it gets like, these bleeds, you know what I mean? And like, I had must've, like I said, even that, whatever that clot was or whatever, that was like whatever tissue, I don't even know. And it's completely like normal that sometimes that happens. But of course, you know, with my previous trauma, I'm thinking automatically, you know, but that moment was when I realized I don't want to lose them. And then I'm going to fight like hell, excuse my language, but fight like hell to make sure that I get these babies to the finish line. And, and listen, I'm not going to get into everything, but 38 weeks, 38 weeks made to the C-section date. 
you know, pretty textbook pregnancy. I mean, aside from, you know, obviously I was seeing the high risk doctor was a hospital stay eventually, but there was, I, I, I didn't care. I took all that in stride. I never complained. And I got them there and I got to see my babies. And one thing I will, will say, um, is that, and of course, learning that they were both a boy and a girl. Um, I feel like, I mean, goosebumps, I, I, I would, again, be lying to myself. I didn't say that when I found these things out, as I kept going, like, oh, you're also having an, another boy and a girl. Like what? Like I kept saying that there was these mind Fs, excuse me, again, excuse my language, mind Fs, like is really somebody doing this? And I think what really helped me also change my perspective was my, uh, my mom around well before tw- 20 weeks, my mom says, and she's still to this day says that she was visited by Atticus and Violet. She said she was in the shower. She said she thought she heard a voice. And she said that she'd like open the the, the shower, you know, shower thing. And she's looking around. She's like, I don't know. Maybe I'm losing my mind. And she said, then there was a light. And she said, and it felt like almost like an out-of-body experience. And she said that she heard these little voices and and, and saw these, these two lights. And she said that they said that they were, you know, going to be watching out that they, she sent them Atticus. I mean, she sent them Wolf and uh, Wolfgang and Imogen. Um, they're my twins now, you know, Wolf and Emmy. And there was going to be a boy and a girl, you know, and that they're going to be looking out for me. And, you know, my mom would, I have this in writing, like she wrote me that and then she would tell me, she said, I don't want to scare you, Mia. She's like, cause I, and I know you're like ultra, you have to be ultra fo- focused and all, but I'm telling you, she you're going to have a boy and a girl and you're going to make it to the finish line. And that's right. This was before nine weeks. This was right before I went into the hospital. Cause she kept saying, there's no way you're going to lose those babies. She's like, she kept telling me as I was leaving. And she's like, there's no way Mia, Cause they told me, they told me that you're going to make it and you're going to have a boy and a girl. And I kept saying, okay, you know, of course I'm like, all right, mom, be quiet. It, you know, like, cause I don't want to hear this, oh you know, God. but wow. even afterwards, like she goes, look, I told you, didn't I tell you, you know? So every yeah. time, like we Not would have moment. these, like these moments throughout the pregnancy, we we're like scared. She goes, me, you're going to make it. She goes, I, cause they wouldn't, they wouldn't lie to me. And she, even to this day, she keeps saying like, she's like, you know, like she goes, that's going to be her greatest thing is when she goes to heaven and oh, I'm getting emotional <laughs> and she gets to see them again. You know, I have such a good mom. Oh, I can't tell you enough that yeah. having a support group, support people, not just a group that you go to, but like having people that really, you know, understand and go through that with you. And I, I, my mother, my parents, but yeah, now I have the, you know, I have three beautiful children. I have uh, these, these twins. And I think that reason why I wanted to share that story is not just to give people hope, but also too, you know, that even with how happy I am, to have and be and grateful that I am to have Wolf and Emmy with me, it's still triggering because all the things I get to experience with Wolf and Emmy, I think about Atticus and Violet. And I kept thinking to myself, like, you know, so even though I'm excited, you know, uh, you know, I, I get excited for the holidays and now I, oh, look, I get the, you know, People are thinking, probably think, oh, well, look, now you have twins and you could do the things that you didn't get to do with, you know, Atticus and Violet. It's not the same because they're not the same babies, but yes, I do try to be happy. And I, I mean, it's not that I try to be happy. I am very happy, but there is always going to be that sense of loss because they're, they're my first babies. And I will say that I also go back and forth and think to myself that if I had, hadn't lost Atticus and Violet, then I wouldn't have, you know, Achilles and I wouldn't have Wolf and Emmy. And of course, having them here with me now, I can't even think about living without them. So I always feel like it's it's hard that those things that are playing repeat in your mind. And I right. think that's all normal. I mean, there's no better way to say it other than that, 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 that these are just the things that we're going to, as parents, as moms, the people lost that you think. 
and it's okay. There's because you're never going to really get an answer. You know what I mean? You're never going to. The only thing you can do is just try to process and try to live the best that you can with what you've learned and be able to spread that that knowledge to other people so they know that they're not going crazy. Because of course, I wish I had in the beginning somebody that I really could, you could have, you know what I mean? I kind of felt like I learned things as I went. And then finally, after a good year and being with my, you guys were like a godsend being yeah. able to be with you guys and, and, and learning everybody's stories and knowing you're not crazy. Oh my God. That's such a relief to know that a lot of the same things I was feeling inside other moms and dads were feeling. So, but I just appreciate having this platform to share my story. That's my little rascals. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your story of your little rascals with us. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. They're here with me today. I knew, I know that they they are. I think that, you know, I had a lot of anxiety going into it, but I love talking about them. Last thing I want to say is that, that if I forget there was uh, something, I, I think there was a question of like, what's one, one thing that's really hard and it's not hearing their names, you know, like first, like I said, first six, six months. Okay. People are still receptive. You talking about them, but you know, not being really able to talk about them so freely because or else people are going to look at you like, all right, you know, especially as we're getting into the five year, six year anniversary, word of advice to other people, letting, letting, you know, talking to other parents, the parents that have lost, don't think that you're triggering them. You know, I, I did have a couple of, a uh, couple of coworkers that still to this day have no problem, like, especially around that time, they know, like, they'll just say, oh, you know, they'll just start talking or they'll say, oh, I thought about Atticus the other day, or I thought about Violet, or I saw a flower and I thought about Violet. Like, those are the moments that, like, really warm my heart because I don't get to hear my kid's name aside from that. And I'll, and I'll never forget, Atticus is a famous, um, from To Kill a Mockingbird, Atticus Finch. And I'll never forget one time walking into... Yeah. Uh, a ninth grade teacher. She's since retired, but she had, she was teaching to kill a mockingbird and Atticus was like, literally the name was on her board. And I almost, and I tried not to like respond to it. Cause I was, my heart melted. And then later I told her after I left, cause I didn't want to like get emotional. I said, I just want you to know, I know you didn't do it intentional, but seeing Atticus's name on the board, like got me really excited. And she goes, Oh my God, I wish you would have said something. Aww. So yeah, just little things like that. You don't realize really mean a lot. Yeah, it is. It is hard not to hear. I agree. Not to hear their names anymore. You don't want to forget them. But like you said, the world is moving on and you don't want to bring it up and make people sad either. So it's like a hard. Yeah. Yeah. But I say it all the time. It's really hard for some for like, I I think it is good to keep sharing. Like, even if it's five years, if it's 10 years, I still love um, I have a family. And every year their son would be they're one of my first families that I supported. Um, and their son would be, I want to say 13. And every year they do something, you know, and tell his story again. And it doesn't even have to be a year. It could just be like, you're thinking about them and you want to share with everybody else. Like it's, it would be probably their first year of kindergarten this year. Yeah. So it's like, oh, even those yeah. kind of things, like that could also be in your mind and you're not even realizing it. But even if you share it, you know, Always. I like when people share about their babies and like, not that I like that you're missing these things, but that when you share, like it gives me a chance to say, Hey, I do still think about them too. Or I still think about you. You know, you're in my heart. Cause you don't really realize that people are thinking about you. Oh, yeah. green. Yeah. And I, and I, and I do. Yeah. 
I love that. And it is, and it's, it's beautiful. Cause I think it, and I, that's why I also want to say that it, it's not always the fault of the other person. It's that they sometimes don't know. I, I mean, that's why I think we need this. We need this, these podcasts, we need these die open dialogue, because I think the problem is, is that pregnancy loss is so taboo and that people that have not experienced a loss, they're scared to say anything. They're worried. They're like, well, I don't want to trigger this person. I think a lot of times it's usually the opposite that sometimes we feel uncomfortable because we don't want to, you know, like yeah. be like, oh, are they going to start talking about their kid kid again? And right. um, and you're absolutely right. Like I'm very good at what I call, um, my, not, what is it called? Um, Partmentalizing. You know, like I can be, I can go to work, you know, because my job is working with kids and I go there and I act like I'm the happiest person in the world, but I can have a million things going on. But it doesn't mean that I'm not thinking about you know what I mean? And like, or, or, and, and that's the whole thing. Like I can go through periods of time where I'm not on social media or blasting how much I miss them, but there's not a day that goes by that. I mean, I have reminders, daily reminders of the, the, with my current twins every day. And I keep thinking, what, what if, what would Atticus, is this what Atticus would look like? Would this be what my daughter Violet look like? I, I think about that all the time. And especially now you're right with Achilles, Achilles is going to preschool. So it's like, and I think to myself, oh my God, like, you know, they would be probably, they would be in first grade. Yeah. So those are all the things that, I mean, it's very triggering. It's very rewarding, you know, getting to see my current children, but knowing that, you know, Alex and Violet, that they would be literally little first graders and wondering what their little, what their little voices sound like. These are all things that like, you know, they just doesn't go away. And that makes me feel good to know Desiree that, you know, yes, you're, you're right. That other people could be thinking, you know, like about my babies or something. I think they definitely, um, definitely are. Listen, if we talk about our kids, you can talk about your kids, whether they're here or not. You know what I mean? You have to listen to us talk about our kids. Uh, I saw people. Yeah. Well, one thing I will say that I did this year, because I'm teaching 11th graders this year, so I'm finally back to the high school. And one thing I did do is when I made my About Your Teacher PowerPoint, I put for children, I actually included all of them. I I didn't, I just put like um, Atticus and Violet and I just put um, in heaven or I forget how I put it, but it was my first time. Like I've been very open with students, not, you know, like depending on the class, like I don't share, like go bleeding heart. Cause you know, I was working in the middle school and I don't want to share, you know, make anybody of those kids cry. But I also know that kids are a lot more, they're smarter and more resilient than people lead on. And so I like to at least share that I've been through a loss, but with my 11th graders, I just, I, I, I wanted to, also include them because it feels weird. That's that weird question. How many kids do you have? Well, really, you know, I have this many, you know what I mean? But so I said, you know what? No, I'm going to put what's in my heart. I have, you know, they're, they're just not here on earth. And so I'm not going to get into the big story, but I'll tell them one day I'll share with them if they want to later want to know, but I, it felt good. It felt right finally to include that because that is a question when random people say, yeah, how many kids do you have? And then you have that awkwardness, like, okay, what do I say? No, you might actually though, like you might affect one person very greatly just by doing that little thing. And it might be your kids like giving you that push to do that. Cause you said, you know, it's just the first year yeah. I really felt like you, you could, but those are some really, that's a cool age to, to teach 11th grade, you know, the high school kids. They're really, yeah. I'm, I'm going to be excited to hear what comes from that. Cause I feel like somebody's going to share a story with you that they would not have necessarily shared or, or just needs to hear that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm a big proponent of being pretty transparent with the way I teach anyway. And I do feel like with the type of kids that we have, even though, you know, yes, you also have to be very professional. Um, so like I said, I don't think I would like just straight up be like, yeah, so this is what happened. But right. as we established the relationship and the trust, I think that, um, you know, it's something that it, 
just showing that like, you know, yes, I'm a professional, but guess what? I'm also a human being and I know what loss is. And I, and I do feel that it does help make that connection with kids because, you know, kids go through a lot of stuff that, you know, they might be scared to talk about. And then when they have that person that they feel like they can connect with, then it kind of opens up that trust factor between them. So yeah, you know, that's let really, you know really cool. That that's my favorite. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here today with us. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your story of your little rascals with us. If you want to send some love to Mia and her beautiful family, comment on her episode at our website, www.theblindsided.com or on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash theblindsided. Thank you for listening. We'll see you on our next episode. Thank you so much for tuning into the latest episode of the Blindsided Podcast. We truly appreciate your support and time you spent with us. If you have a personal story you'd like to share on the show, don't hesitate to reach out to us. You can send us an email at Nicole at the blindsided.com or Desiree at the blindsided.com. For more episodes, make sure to follow on your favorite podcast app. Just search the Blindsided Podcast and hit that follow button. You can also connect with us on social media too. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at The Blindsided Podcast. We love engaging with our listeners and hearing your thoughts on each episode. And before you go, consider leaving a rating and review for our show. Your feedback helps us reach more listeners who might find value in the stories and discussions we share. Once again, thank you for listening and being a part of the Blindsided community.